Welcome to Legal Nurse Podcast, where you will get tips to expand your legal nurse consulting skills. Every week, you'll hear from experts from within and outside of legal nurse consulting. They will share their knowledge to help you grow. Your show is moderated by Pat Iyer, a legal nurse consultant with 30 years experience. So join our community, sit back, relax, and get ready to learn. Here's Pat. Welcome to Legal Nurse Podcast. I'm Pat Iyer, and today we're going to focus on something that nurses worry about a lot when they get caught in situations where they fear that their license will be on the line and has implications for us when we're working in the realm of the nursing malpractice world and we find out that there are actions against nurses as a result of being involved in a nursing malpractice suit. Maggie Ortiz is my guest today, and she has spent time as a nurse investigator for the Board of Nursing in Texas. And after hearing and seeing the lack of due process that was extended to the nurses involved in situations, she became an activist and an advocate after leaving her position as a nurse investigator. And we're gonna go into that in a little bit more detail to show you behind the scenes some of the things that concerned Maggie. She notes that there are 400,000 nurses in Texas and more than 5 million in the United States. So she saw the need for her services as the CEO of Advocates for Nurses, which helps to advocate for nurses. She also works in the field of being a patient advocate, another group of people who need individuals to speak on their behalf and to make sure that they're receiving appropriate care. Maggie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's such an honor to be here. Well, thank you. I know that the term nurse investigator is not gonna be familiar to many of the people who are listening to our podcast or watching it on our YouTube channel, which is Legal Nurse Business. I thought we could start by talking about what is a nurse advocate and also for our international audience, what is the Board of Nursing and what is its role in the United States? So we'll start with the nurse investigator role. What is that? Sure, as a nurse investigator within an entity like a regulatory board, like the Board of Nursing, is someone who would investigate a complaint made about someone who holds a nursing license. All right, and then what is the role of the Board of Nursing? The board, the role of the Board of Nursing in the United States is to protect the public. Okay, and there is a lot of emphasis on that last word in that sentence, Maggie. It's to protect the public. So what does that mean in real terms? What is the mission of the Board of Nursing? Sure, it is to uphold the integrity of our profession, to create rules and regulations and position statements that dictate our practice in the protection of the public and not of the nurse. And that oftentimes is a piece that I think that nurses forget about and don't really appreciate until it's too late. It is an entity there for the public 
and not for the nurse. Then as a nurse investigator, as I alluded to in your introduction, you saw some things that concerned you regarding how a board of nursing would typically function and how the investigation process proceeds. Tell us a little bit about how an investigation occurs and what are some of the things that can introduce some bias into that investigation process? Sure. In most states, there's a complaint process either online, you can call, or you can set a written complaint. It can come from your employer. It can come from another nurse. It could come from the public. That then generates a process that is handed over to the enforcement department where I worked. And it can be a criminal investigator or a nurse investigator that reads the complaint and then generates uh, allegations to the nurse based on that complaint. The nurse is then asked to provide a written response, usually within 30 days, to what I feel is extremely vague allegations without having the full and complete record and not knowing completely all the allegations that could potentially be uh, made against a nurse. If the nurse feels that the 30 days is not enough time, is there any extension allowed? So um, in my experience and working with nurses and their legal team, and when I was at the Board of Nursing, yes, as long as you're communicating with the board, and I've seen this with pretty much every board across the United States, they're reasonable in that respect. You reach out to them, I need an extension, 30 days is not enough, and then you should be asking for your full and complete file while you're looking for a nurse attorney. So you emphasize looking for a nurse attorney. Are there nurses who go in front of the board who don't have an attorney with them? Yes. And what can happen then? So they don't understand the process and the board of nursing is not going to explain that to them. They're not gonna extend them those courtesies. So oftentimes the nurse does not understand the process, says things and speaks to the board and agrees to things that maybe are not in their best interest because they don't know administrative law. They don't understand that piece of it. We're nurses, we're not lawyers. And so it is, it is a huge disservice to the nurse to not get an attorney involved from the very beginning, from when you receive the allegations, certified mail. And just to clarify for people who don't know, nurses can get their own insurance policy to cover themselves as individuals while being an employee of an institution that may also provide coverage. Their own policy gives them greater rights to have an attorney representing their own interests as opposed to the hospital's interest. And that's one of the questions that I get asked, and I'm sure Maggie, you've been asked multiple times is, do I need my own insurance policy? And yes, you do. If you ever have to go before the board of nursing, then you have an attorney to protect you in your rights. Yes, and then most nurses don't have thousands of dollars to retain a lawyer. And it can be thousands of dollars, especially if you wanna go all the way through to a trial. And like you stated, I do get asked that question a lot. And I do tell nurses, 
You absolutely need that. If you're named in civil litigation, a medical malpractice case, which you know intimately, and then with the Board of Nursing, it will afford you representation. Absolutely. So we talked a little bit about your role as a nurse investigator. And one question that I wanted to come back to before we talk about why you left and what you did next is you mentioned that a case could be assigned to a criminal investigator or a nurse investigator. And I'm curious, is it a, is there certain criteria as to when a nurse's case goes to a criminal investigator versus a nurse investigator? So I don't know. I can only speak to the board that I was within. And then over the last decade working with nurses and their legal teams, I don't know that there's any rhyme or reason. When I was at the board, I had two to 300 cases in various different stages. Just like with any job, there's never enough of us. That's mm -hmm. the board of nursing is not immune to that either. You look up any board, there's probably positions. So I don't know if there's any rationale to that. I was assigned cases for nurse practitioners. I clearly don't hold that credentialing. I did do uh, a criminal case. I clearly don't have that credentialing. The bulk of my cases were RN cases or LPN cases well within my scope of practice to review. But you touched on one of the concerns that not only I have, but other people have. How is it that a criminal investigator can investigate a practice case if the educational background is nursing? And I asked you a question earlier, and I think we got sidetracked, is how does bias get introduced into the investigation process? Sure. Innately, as humans, we're all biased. We all, all bring our own unique perspective to that. But aside from that, under administrative law, when you create an entity where they are the prosecutor and a judge, which the entities like the Board of Nursing are, that in itself can create bias. So I, but I do feel like that that can be fixed. We could have an ombudsman. I helped write a bill in my own state to champion that when I came out from the Board of Nursing because it's something that I believe in. You know, doing bias training, making sure that there are experts involved in every case, having an RN or an NP, just like you and I know are the requirements in civil law, they should also be respected in administrative law. Well, you came out of the Board of Nursing, you just said. What did you do next? So I went back to the cath lab because that's where I felt comfortable. So I went back to critical care and then I started asking questions. I started with my own representatives, I went to the public health committee. I went to every nurse who held office. I went to every physician who held office. I did not discriminate and keep it to my side of the aisle. And then I started um, doing Freedom of Information Act, so FOIA, getting information about the border nursing, some of their processes, and letting my representatives know some of the information that I was getting to include no oversight for the board. I would sit in front of my representatives and tell them there's no oversight and then be asked, what do you mean? Exactly what I said, sir, ma'am. No, I know, but what do you mean? No one, no one oversees them. Please call the governor's office. I have, please call the attorney general's office. I have. So I just started doing my research and started 
getting all that stuff in writing so that I could go to my representatives and try to get change made. All right. It sounds like this became your mission. You saw the system from the inside and then you were on the outside looking to make some changes for some of the issues that you detected. Is that a good way of summarizing what happened? Yes. And then when I came out and I crossed paths with another mass uh, PhD prepared nurse who ended up becoming my mentor, who had the same concerns outside of the entity that I had inside the entity, I knew just what that was validation for me as well and encouraged and helped mentor to help make change. Tell us about your company, Advocates for Nurses. Sure. So I created that as a way to be a consultant to provide nurses, nurse case management when they're under investigation or they have general questions. Nurses are always desperate to know different things, what they can do with their job. They, Their charge nurse said this or their manager came to them and said this. I don't understand what this policy means. I was charged with a crime at 18, I just got off the, the call with this for theft of makeup. And now I'm 35 and I wanna to go to nursing school and they're saying that I can't. So I do a lot of education with nurses just to help explain to them some of the processes, listen to them, support them. So I created um, this entity. I don't give legal advice. I'm just a nurse. I just do nurse case management because I was finding that our people were just not educated about the investigative process. They don't understand things like possibly being deposed if they have rights. So I wanted to create something that nurses, someplace that nurses could come to that if I don't have the answer, I will help them find the answer. In our country, it strikes terror into nurses' hearts to hear that the Board of Nursing is looking at them or investigating them. I'm sure that they appreciate having you there in what is otherwise a terrifying process. Yes, especially because I can identify with them. If they have an attorney who's not a nurse, oftentimes when they're under investigation, they feel shameful. There's a lot of emotion that comes with that. So that just sometimes listening to them and then explaining the process, giving them a worksheet where there are hyperlinks to the National Council for State Boards of Nursing about the investigative process that they can review at their own leisure. Because just like you said, when they get that letter, it's like someone telling them they have cancer. They don't hear anything else. So they need support. They need education. So I find the bulk of the things that I do are educating nurses about the process and just letting them know it honestly is going to be okay. And I can just speak in my experience, the likelihood that the nurse is going to get their license revoked is a very slim population. They don't want to keep nurses out of work. Revocation is one of the gravest, you know, disciplines that a nurse can get, but it's not a very large percentage of nurses. Can you give us examples of situations that might provoke a nurse having a license revoked? Normally, in my experience, outside of cases like we've seen, like with Redonda, 
It is normally a nurse who does not answer the board. It is normally a nurse who's had discipline on their license and they're currently under agreed orders and they don't comply or they don't follow up. That honestly, in my experience, has only been pretty much why a nurse gets their license revoked. Outside of things that I would think would be obvious, you commit a crime like murder, something that rises to the level of felony, you're going to get your license revoked. They will ask you to surrender your license initially while you're going through that process, the criminal process, but you're probably going to get your license revoked. And tell us a layer below that, uh, the kinds of situations that could result in action by the board. And my second part of that question is, what types of actions can a board take against a nurse's license? We talked about revocation, but that's extreme and unusual. What are some of the other actions? So first of all, What's the spectrum of those types of incidents that brings a nurse to the attention of the board? And what are the options that the board can take about that problem or that issue or suspicion? Before we continue with the show, I'd like to share this special announcement with you. What should you check during your first editing? You finished your first draft of your report. You followed the advice to not edit as you wrote. But now you fear that your manuscript is a hopeless mess. Relax. Painless editing and proofreading for LNCs is here to help. I'm Pat Iyer, an experienced LNC who's been writing reports for attorneys since 1987. Does what you've written serve your reader? You can't ask a more important question. How will you answer it? That will define what does and does not belong in your writing, whether it's a report, a blog post, a newsletter article, a promotional email, or anything you share with your audience. Put yourself in the position of a plaintiff attorney who's contemplating taking a medical malpractice case. Imagine their concern. Know what can help their ability to decide on accepting a case. Provide the details, strengths, and weaknesses of the case. Offer your recommendations. Demonstrate empathy. You can ask several specific questions that give focus to this primary question. Does the text unfold in a logical sequence? When I'm writing a report, I state the major points I plan to address, and then I return to the first point to elaborate. You might write the defendant nurse deviated from the standard of care in three significant ways. Next, you would list the ways. Many writers, especially in their first drafts, lose their thread. They get involved in the first thing they want to focus on and forget about the others. They can also confuse the reader by describing the three points but running them together so they don't create a clear distinction between them. When you edit, check this. If you've missed a point, add it. If you've blurred the points, give each a paragraph or more if needed so the reader can follow the sequence. Have you stayed on track? Review the format of your material and make sure it's logical and flows in a consistent way. Want more tips? 
You'll find many more valuable suggestions in painless editing and proofreading for LNCs. Get it at lnc.tips forward slash creating series. Now let's return to the show. And there, there it is. There are lots of reasons why, because I told you that anyone can report a nurse. So mm -hmm. it could be a patient who says, Sally Smith was verbally abusive to me. The board has an obligation to look at that. So now that's a complaint to the board of nursing. Your employer questions that you're altered. They do a random drug test on you. You're positive for cannabis. You're positive for an opioid that you didn't disclose. You, um, are involved in criminal conduct, you get driving under the influence. You, If that rises to felony, a felony DUI, you're probably gonna get your license revoked in most states in my experience. And I've heard this from many board attorneys, you cannot hold a license and you will get your license revoked if the DUI reaches felony or any crime reaches felony. Mackie, what's the difference between a, a regular garden variety driving under the influence and a felony driving under the influence? That's a great question. And a nurse just reached out to me recently and asked me that very question. I do believe that it is her, was her blood alcohol level and the injuries that the other person sustained. So that is criminal conduct that I have very limited experience with but I do believe it because of the injuries, but she will be facing revocation. This is in California. Well, maybe if the, the nurse who was under the influence killed another person in a crash, that might bring it to the felony level. This is our non-lawyer nurse <laughs> speculation. Exactly. And somebody exactly. listening to this will say, I know the difference. <laughs> Yes. If you do, send me an email to patire at legalnursebusiness.com and help us understand this piece. So you are going through some of the reasons why a nurse comes to the attention of the board, and then we'll talk about what are the actions that the board can take. So first and foremost, it can always be a, dismiss a dismissal. They look at the case, there's no evidence, so they dismiss the case. So that would be the first, that would be a blessing to the nurse. Very, unfortunately, rare in my experience, but I have seen the board in various different states drop the allegations against the nurse. A warning is a letter that you get, and a warning does get reported to nurses, N-U-R-S-Y-S, which is a national database where your orders are sent, and can a company find and in my experience, usually has remedial education tied to that as well. You can get a reprimand, which is a more serious warning. It does normally come with fines, remedial education, stipulations. This one does normally remove your compact uh, ability if you do live in a state where you are compact, and it will take you down to a single state to practice normally for the full length of your discipline. Uh, you can get a reprimand, which again, 
the same things are normally tied to each one subsequently we're going to go on to. You're going to have fines. You're going to have remedial education. You will get removed your compact license if you live in a compact state. You'll be taken down to a, a single state with all the different types of um, discipline. They can limit your license, so you can have limited license restriction. That could be you have to be supervised. You have to work days. You have you can't work home health. You can't work hospice. So that could be another part of another type of discipline. When we talked about the DUI, if it did not rise to the level of felony, normally nurses are offered alternative dis to discipline. And anyone can go to the National Council of State Boards of Nursing. I highly suggest every nurse does. There are videos there that walk through the process. So it's basically diversion for nurses and offered in every state. So they're not punishing you. And it's not optional. Nurses sometimes have this illusion that if you're offered alternative discipline, that the other option is something else. No, it's revocation. So you either do the alternative discipline, which you they say you qualify for, or you give up your license. Um, they can suspend your license. That's a, a more serious um, discipline. Normally, if they, this is one of your punishments, they normally stay that. So they suspend you, they stay it, and then that you move into your probationary phase. They can do an enforced suspension where they say, no, I'm going to suspend your license. And that could be one, two, three years, depending on the conduct. Um, voluntary surrender. The nurses asked to voluntarily surrender their license. Normally that's criminal conduct, or it was such gross negligence that the Board of Nursing is asking you to, to surrender your license. They're a poor entity. It saves them time, money, and resources if you just investigate it instead of them going through the process of revocation. And then we talked about, you know, revocation. Now, that raises another question. You mentioned a database. And I know that the Office of the Attorney General, OIG, also has information. Are we talking about two different lists of nurses or a single list of nurses? So there are actually three lists of nurses. All right, three. No, so, sorry. Sorry Let's about that news. <laughs> so the first one that a nurse will be reported to is nurses, N-U-R-S-Y-S. I believe there are all but three states that participate, Michigan and California, but I do believe that they're coming on board so you're reported there, the orders that you sign, so the agreed orders with everything on there gets scanned into that database. From that database, that database communicates with the National Practitioners Database or the NPDB. That is where you'll see on nurses under the nurse's name, if they've had discipline, you'll see the NPD code. I just happen to know what negligence is. It's 13. So under the nurse's name, you'll see a hyperlink to their orders and you'll see the NPD code. From that NPD code, you're on that database. And then that database also can, you can also end up on the Office of Inspector General list, which if something like the revocation of your license is something that can end you up on that list, doesn't matter why you had your license revoked, 
it does get you on the Office of Inspector General list. I don't know anyone who's gotten off this list. I have researched this. There is an application process to get off this list. I know that there have been a couple of people that have tried to get off this list. They get to decide, I say they, the Office of Inspector General gets to decide whether you come off this list. And it can be an entity, an organization, a nurse, a physician. It's not just nurses. It's entities that receive government money, CMS. So it basically means that you'll never work in any profession ever again. In any profession or within nursing? Any profession. Because mm -hmm. you're going to be on a list. So one of the nurses that I worked with was in California. She was in law school. She did stand in front of the Board of Nursing defending herself. They didn't appreciate that. And she would not sign her agreed orders because she did not do the conduct. They revoked her license. She was in law school. They kicked her out of law school because you can't hold in their license. You will have to pass a background check. I just talked to a nurse earlier, I think we touched on, who had conduct. And so now she's having to fill out these declaratory orders. I don't know that the Board of Nursing is going to give her a license because she's on one of these databases. Yes. It's a big deal. It's a big, huge deal. Nurses don't know about this. And it's, it's, she's working at, as a cashier. She has a single state to practice in Texas. She came to Texas, pled her case to the Board of Nursing here. They reviewed her case and said, I don't know why California didn't, you know, punish you, but we're going to give you a single state to practice here. She's on the OIG list. She cannot pass a background check. She can't walk into a nursing home. She can't volunteer anywhere. So she can't get a job in any industry. She's working as a cashier. Mm -hmm. It's a big deal. It's part of the reason why I'm so passionate and scream and yell, because most of us don't know that when you get your nursing license, you're practicing under administrative law, which is a big, huge deal that ties you to, to other types of law that you don't even know about. Yes, you know, and you mentioned the National Practitioner Data Bank, which comes into play when people are defendants in malpractice suits. Um, I'm involved in a case where one of the defendants was reported to the National Practitioner Database, and the information about why this provider was reported is covered over by the defense and is not available to the plaintiff attorney to understand what was the charge, what was the lawsuit that required reporting to the National Practitioner Data Bank. So sometimes we run into shields of privacy and um, information that blocks access to that information. So that's another whole piece of how your topic and the National Practitioner Data Bank intersect. But before I let you go, I wanted to ask you, how can our listener find out more about you and the services that you offer to nurses? Sure. So like you touched on, Advocates for Nurses is my business and I don't get crazy. All these platforms, it literally is Advocates for Nurses, number four or FOR. I'm pretty much on every platform that you can think of. And then anyone can email me again, advocates for nurses at gmail.com. 
Okay. And is that that spelled out F O R, not the number four, correct? Well, actually, I bought both domains. So either way, <laughs> you'll get to Got me. it. <laughs> Got it. Yes. It's it's like my last name, Iyer, which has been misspelled about seven different ways. So I bought all of the URLs that had all the misspellings of my last name, just in case somebody didn't spell it correctly. Exactly. So it was a suggestion that I do F-O-R and four. Well, Maggie, I appreciate the expertise that you shared with us. You've shed a little bit of light on what is um, uh, a serious step in the legal process in retaining licenses. We often, if we're handling nursing malpractice cases, may find out that a nurse has been reported to the Board of Nursing as a result of an incident that led to a suit, but we often don't know what happened to the nurse. And you've shared with us examples of some of the types of situations that can result in being reported, and also some of the consequences from the dismissal to the revocation of a license and everything in between. Your role in being an advocate for nurses to help them understand the process and take some of the terror out of it is a critical one, and I applaud you for being there to support nurses. Thank you. Thank you. It's, I'm literally, I feel like I'm called here. I'm not called to nursing. I'm called to nurses. And for you who's been watching this podcast, be sure to come back next week or click on down below for our next guest, new guest, new topic. Share Legal Nurse Podcast with your colleagues in September of 2023, which is a few months in the future from when we are taping this presentation. We will be completing our seventh year and going into our eighth year of this show. <clears throat> and we're pleased to be able to reach people in so many parts of the world who appreciate the information that they hear on Legal Nurse Podcast. See you next time. Coming up next, you're going to have an opportunity to hear from Emily Dean, who will bring you into the world of the wound Continence ostomy nursing. We know that ostomies of a variety of kinds are some of the most feared complications that patients may have. You've heard about them and wonder how could I ever possibly manage such a thing? Emily, what were some of the topics that we talked about in your podcast? We talked about different types of ostomies what causes one to have an ostomy. We talked about what makes an ostomy reversible or irreversible, the psychosocial and physical adjustments a patient undergoes with an ostomy. We talked about the patient's bill of rights and nursing standards of care regarding ostomies. There is a lot of information in this podcast. It is a critical one for you to review when you're handling a case involving a potential delay in diagnosing a condition that leads to an ostomy, a traumatic injury that requires establishing an ostomy, or you've got questions about the nursing care associated with complications of ostomies, be sure to check out Emily Dean's podcast on ostomies here on Legal Nurse Podcast, coming up next. Thank you.
We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Check out Pat Iyer's resources for legal nurse consultants on LegalNurseBusiness.com. Pat coaches legal nurse consultants so they make more money, get more clients, and avoid expensive mistakes. Check out her coaching program at LNCAcademy.com. Please subscribe to our podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Join our community to get notified of each new episode and to receive the transcript of today's program. Complete the request form on podcast.legalnursebusiness.com. We appreciate you and your interest.